for July 5th, 2021. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 679. That championship season. Hey, it's the Overthinking It podcast. I'm Matt. That's Pete. Hey, Pete. I'm Matt. Hey. Hey, Matt, I'm Pete. <laughs> it's nice to, nice to talk to you. Uh, you know, I, Pete, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but, uh, we've created the Overthinking It podcast every week from inside our own houses. <laughs> it's, that's, uh, that's not entirely accurate for the long, the long time listeners will know why that isn't accurate. Can you, well, I guess there's a couple of reasons why it's not accurate, but anyway, sorry, sorry, uh, not to interrupt. Wait, Can you think you, of like one of the exceptions? Were you on vacation for one of the things and like calling well, from your calling from, yeah. from someone's house in New Jersey? We have, we have done it a couple of ways. We have recorded together at a third location. Uh-huh. Like we've done that together, like you and I. Yes. I know you've recorded it on the road with people, and I've recorded it on the road with people. Mm-hmm. But I think the farthest it got was I once recorded the podcast from my phone on a park bench on the Hudson River. Wow. Because I couldn't get a place. In, I, I once recorded the podcast from the back room of an improv Christmas party in another person's house. I remember that. Yeah. I once recorded a podcast from a parking lot at a Connecticut rest stop while I was driving home on Easter. I think I might have done that twice. Uh, (laughs) So I would say that like most of the podcasts are inside. And I guess you could sort of define some of those situations as inside per se. But we, you know, we've been a little bit indoor outdoor. We've been a little all season with some of these things. I guess the podcast, like I've done it from vacation locations and we've done it, you know, together. Sometimes the, the, um, one of the the mechanisms uh, by which the overthinking crew has remained close is that you know until until COVID we had like an annual trip together where we would like stay on a lake and grill together and do things you know first alone and then with you know, r- relationship partners of increasing seriousness and now with our children um, I when I say our I mean our collectively because I look when you at say them- our you mean you claim. A sort of spiritual fatherhood over all of the youngsters. Sure, right? or I guess a, a spiritual kinship. I mean, I feel like yeah. fatherhood. I don't want to make. I don't want to make specific claims as to fatherhood, just because I, I. I feel like y'all would be mad at me. But it the, would change the format of the show. Jerry Springer podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess the farthest away I've ever done it is in a. I, I did it in a dorm room at Maudlin College, Oxford. Uh, for, for a couple weeks, right? Uh, which was, um, interesting and, uh, yeah, surprisingly good internet, better than I got at home sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and from phones and, and stuff like that, though, though that it has been less the case over the last year and a half over, you know, over the time of the kind of the stay at home order as uh, various stay at home orders. There's not one. There's a, a hodgepodge of them. This is part of the problem yeah. that we've been sheltering in place in our own homes. And no one gives us a Netflix special, but Bo Burnham gets one. <laughs> we, they don't give you a Netflix special. They take it. <laughs> take, take. So, you was, know, was, I don't know. Was, Some the, are, pur- was the Purple Rain show a podcast? That was a TFT, right? That was a TFT. Yeah, that was in a in a like a warehouse art space in yeah. Boston. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss that one so that we didn't get uh, nailed on it by people, you know, by the aliens that will find this in the uncarved on a nickel disc that's floating in the uh, vacancy of space. 
But yes, no, we keep doing it inside, outside, up, on my, down. It's on my GitHub uh, code profile, on my GitHub profile that I'm apparently con- a contributor to something called the Arctic Code Vault, which is like Ooh. stuff, open source, uh, you know, computer source code from GitHub that is uh, stored somewhere <laughs> in the Arctic, like underground. I'm not like sure. by the seeds? The, or by the seeds oh yeah, yeah like something like that yeah exactly so that like not only could you recreate biodiversity on earth you could also recreate computer technology or you could like you know i don't know make re- remake websites like uh you know you, you human civilization might be just a nascent shell of its former self but uh still we have dig <laughs> right. what is in the arctic code vault of it, yours i think it's i i think it's um is it the what anything what whatever you want are you april fool say <laughs> fake buzzfeed quiz we did no what that I, was impeccably coded I'll have to say. I, you that know was, what the 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 design the kind of the engine that runs the design on overthinking it was an open source thing and i contributed a couple things back to that project in the course of doing the overthinking it Oh, cool. uh, website in in 2012 i think that was uh well god i, I should really update the design for the decade <laughs> for the 10 year anniversary the um what year you know, is it <laughs> that, w- that would have been a good uh yeah i uh i even you know the the machine name of it the the folder that holds it is called oti 2012 <laughs> <laughs> and I thought like, wow, it's uh looking looking a little long in the tooth. But um that would have been a really great uh you know, sort of like Bo Burnham's inside, you know, which yes. we'll get to in a minute. That would yes. have been a really great project, like to undertake, artistic project, creative project to undertake during the the COVID I, I I struggle with what to call it. It's it's not strictly oh, speaking yeah. a quarantine because a quarantine is actually well actually a quarantine is a lot more strict than yeah. you know what we what we were re- required to do or what the like we didn't the, even really have lockdowns. No, yeah, not exactly. Really. What yeah, the, yeah. the modal? I mean, whether we should have quarantined or whether we should have uh, had lockdowns. Never mind. The the modal American did not lock down. Uh, nor did they, nor did they quarantine. I mean, following, yeah, that, that, like following the, the Boston Marathon bombings, you all had more lockdown. Than- we didn't, I mean, it was all voluntary, except in a very small area. It just looked like it was all mandatory because everybody did it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't even all that. I mean, you'll get varying, you'll get varying answers on that based on, you know, whether people know whether you remember things or not. Right. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, but, uh, how scrupulous you were. Yeah. Oh, man. We were like, we didn't go out for a year and a half. Wow. Those were a lot of Instagram stories from Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> They're stories. They disappear. They don't, they don't count, you know? Uh, yeah. Wow. Geez. You know, you know what has a great healthcare system that you definitely should bring your disease ridden ass down to because you just need a vacation, Mexico. Uh, well, while yeah, we were, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, what I have been te- calling it in casual conversation, which has its own problems, of course, is during COVID because COVID is still going and will continue to keep going, right? But the sort of acute 
first two big cycles of the surges of COVID, that being the spring through the summer and then again in the fall and winter of 2020 into 2021. I think of that as like the during COVID time because that was when I experienced it. Of course, it's bad and wrong because there are other places that are having it later. And also we are still having it. Lots of people are still dying. Uh, But yeah, I guess quarantine, even though we weren't really quarantined, lockdown, even though we weren't really locked down. Um, the long, long ago, I don't know, our, right, the, the sort of our the, beards, our notional beard space. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had a beard for a while, but if I hadn't, I would have one now. Yeah. No beard, um, beard space is, uh, is expanding, you know, yeah. um, it began with the great beard, big bang, <laughs> the big beard bang, but that, um, yeah. So during, during that time, during the sort of disruption in life, yeah. you Ooh, know, we should call it that championship season after the. <laughs> <laughs> or my favorite year. We should pick some sort of sentimental. Ma, ma saison <laughs> preferé. <laughs> well, during during whatever that disruption in life was, one of the features were that you know the with social activity disrupted to a great extent, and we were by ourselves uh, yes. a lot. We were sort of at home more, and you know those of us who didn't have small children had um, sort of more time. Uh, to more time to ourselves, you know, more time to do whatever. And a creatively ambitious person might have had at least plans or at least, you know, sort of dreams of what they might do with all that time, uh, you know, to, to uh, whether or not it's, it's to create a, a Netflix, whether, whether or not you seize, you snatch the Netflix special out of the, the claws <laughs> of the Netflix. Uh, corporation like so pete did you have an idea of of what you could do of like what 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 you might have wanted to do creatively during that time given some more time i feel like everybody on some level i would expect to have had some sort of thing that they thought that they could have accomplished during that championship season which they did not accomplish right uh but for me i mean i had multiple creative designs that i would not have been able to do just because of the baby Right. Even if there weren't this sort of highly disrupted, emotionally taxing thing going on for everybody that was kind of like uh, and, you know, like financially and physically taxing as well. And all the other kinds of taxing, taxing, taxing and all that stuff. The taxes were bad and whatnot. But um, but at any rate, <laughs> the taxiing was even worse. Um, no, I had two ideas that I really thought that I was going to pursue. Uh one of them was to keep a journal, which I, in retrospect, really wish that I'd done. But in retrospect, it was ridiculous to think that I could have accomplished, right? Um, Specific, in terms of like, specifically, specifically for your son's early years, or no, specifically for that championship season. Oh, got it. Specifically okay. for COVID, because I wanted to keep a journal. Because when, because when it all started, right? And this is all pertinent, by the way. If you haven't watched Bo Burnham's Inside special on Netflix, this is all pertinent to the discussion of Bo Burnham's Inside, I believe. Right? We are not just rambling off topic. This is no, like related to the project. It's it's um, as pertinent as anything we ever do. And if if pertinence <laughs> is the standard by which you judge our conversations, I don't know uh, why you're still listening to our podcast from Inside after we've been doing it yeah. for eleven years. So so I would say that for me, the first. From from well, I guess what February, March into the end of April, the time between uh, when the sort of the disease was breaking out outside of Wuhan and it was apparent that it was going to become this giganto. Uh, let me rephrase: it was apparent to anybody who was paying attention that it was going to become a giganto plague that was going to kill many, many, many hundreds of millions of people, or however many, it's, or however many, not many, many hundreds of millions. I don't even know the number, but you know. 
a lot, a lot, a lot of people, right? Uh, in the United States, what, like more than half a million and, and still going? Yep. Um, not hundreds of millions. That's crazy. But like, you know, a good chunk of the population. No, but, tens of, but probably tens of tens millions, millions, given yeah. the some of the mortality estimates that, you know, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha, well, the, the point is that like when it was starting and it was like, oh, no, there's no way to stop this thing right. now, right? Through to the birth of my son, um, I was in a panic state as a lot of people were but because if i came down with even one symptom i wasn't going to be allowed into the delivery room yeah. uh or the hospital right because the hospital was on total lockdown uh i mean we, we were hoping we would even be able to access the hospital normally uh, it's true so, hospital is yeah. no place for sick people that's true yeah exactly get out of here uh we we're doing tummy tucks and we're giving out <laughs> lollipops to kids with stethoscopes uh you know and whatnot um so so my thoughts were really preoccupied both with that terror and then the sort of extended existential terror that this thing was going to kill me. Right. And like and I felt like, OK, human beings. Right. Um, we've always been subject to capricious, horrible, uh, fatal things. Sure. Right. Like that has been a constant right uh, throughout. And one of the things that I've learned uh, being human uh, and being a very distressed human at times is that, like, it doesn't necessarily stay the same, right? Like your feelings about the situation, even if they don't get better, tend to change from time to time, whether it's cyclical or it comes and goes or it actually does you know, shift in some sort of linear fashion. Yes. And so I said to myself, OK, this feels terrible, right? Um, I want to write down how I'm feeling now. And I'm really curious how I'm going to feel in two weeks, yes. right? In, in two months. And if this crazy report out of London is accurate, 18 months from now, which is when they predicted originally that this whole thing uh, would have some sort of significant vaccine containment or not containment, but you know what I mean. Um, this is not an epidemiology podcast. This is a podcast about the important things, Netflix specials. Right. Um, but yes, I wanted to be able to track how my feelings changed over time. And I think that's, um, I think that's really smart, Pete, because like the mem memory is a terrible tool for, yeah. you know, for remembering things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like it's not, it's just not built to purpose. It's, you know, right. memory is actually designed to do other things psychologically. Right. So, so yeah, the, the insight, like, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to write all this down because I suspect you know, having it, having a record of it. Uh, so, so how'd that go? I didn't even do a single entry, <laughs> like not even one, not even the beginning of one. I didn't even buy the book. Uh, so I did not do that. Um, it, one might say that I attempted to, uh, avoid the abyss by not looking at it and hoping it didn't notice me, Sure, <laughs> which is, uh, which is a, a strategy of, you know, questionable. Well, I'll say this. I did not do it in the first month and a half. Yeah. And then once Ethan was born, forget it. I mean, I just didn't have any capacity for anything. Uh -huh. Right. It was, it was, you know, it's, it's full on full court press, two people, no net, no assistance, no relatives, you know, infant rearing and, uh, and everything, you know, everything was out the window and I didn't sleep and all that stuff. So, so nothing was going to happen in that window, in that time frame that was going to be creative, but, uh, but yeah, so I didn't do it at all. And I keep thinking, man, I should start now because when's the best time to start? other than before is now. Right. And, and I haven't. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, and I think this all connects to Bo Burnham's inside. And I guess the other one, just for the sake of contrast was that I did like a lot of people start playing online Dungeons and Dragons. You know, a lot of people have been playing online tabletop role-playing games during that championship season. 
And uh, Pete, the combination of the words online and tabletop are yes. uh, are vexing to me. In, yes, in try, sense- try downloading an online tabletop and see how well it works for you. Because <laughs> <Jeez>. uh, <laughs> it's a clunky, it, clunky sort of thing. That's I for actually, sure. I've I've not, I didn't get into this during during mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, so, what? T- tell me a little bit about what. What is the onlineness and what is the tabletopness of the online tabletop uh, okay. verse? I mean, okay. So, I mean, tabletop role playing game is a name of a kind of game. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. I'm the, with you. So the far. most, the most famous, and the most well, the most played, both over time and right now, is Dungeons and Dragons. Right? Got it. And so, in okay. The interest, I thought, sorry, I thought yeah. it was Vampire the Masquerade. Or uh, you know, it yeah. was at a time, but you know. <laughs> That time kind of passed, you know, the Camarilla had things going and, you know, the, the Sabbat, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> we'll have, we'll do our, we'll do our white wolf, right. uh, world of darkness podcast some other time. I was always a werewolf, the apocalypse guy myself. Oh, I liked, I liked mage the ascension. You um, would. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. No, no, no. That, that, that's good stuff. I mean, it's all it all it all relates to our relationships with our imaginations in the world, right? It's the yeah. Which, which world of darkness did you ra- gravitate towards? Mage for you? Mage, yeah. And my my friends were all were all vampire the masquerade. They were they were like right. super gothy, right? So like so tabletop role playing games. Obviously, there were live action versions and whatnot. But I would even group all of that together as a sort of kind of game, right? Which is a combination uh, board game, strategy game improv game uh-huh. right theater theater game sure right um which which game means different things in all of those different uh all of those different contexts and so but even particularly now you know the dungeons and dragons is more popular than it's ever been by a huge margin uh ha- a lot of that has to do with stranger things and the online streaming that everybody's been watching um it is funny that I bring it up from time to time that maybe we should talk about it on the podcast, but everybody in Overthinking It watches or listens to a different one. So there's not like one that we could all get right. behind and all listen to at the same time or talk about. Um, but yes, but I, I had been going to a bar near my old apartment and playing a game there. And then when we moved here, I was going to my bar like every week. And I'm thinking, well, when the baby comes, I won't be able to do this anymore. But let me at least keep doing it for a while. Then COVID happened, right? Right. Uh, Then that championship season took place. And so I switched to online. And by online, there are, are, they're called virtual tabletops. There are uh, applications. They could either be web applications, or I guess you could get a client of some kind. Uh, There's a few of them that are big and a bunch of them that are small that allow you to gather with a finite number of people. Okay. So right? you're playing, you're playing live with other people. Yes. Uh, who often, are uh, often talking over like a, like a call on zoom or something like that. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, or through a native voice chat or through discord, right? It's basically, you basically need a voice chat, yep. right? And then you, and you probably need, so you need something that can verify dice that you've rolled. Sure. Like, so, that's, yeah, disc- some affordances for public or private rolls of the device, of the device dice by the, by the players or the game master. Exactly. And then for a lot of the games, you do want to be able to see a grid where the characters are and you can move around, but that's that, at that point, you're kind of in the bells and whistles territory. Uh-huh. Where sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. But at any rate, I think a lot and, – and then some of these virtual tabletops also include kind of clearing houses or like you know, where you can go and be like, hey, I want to play. And someone's like, hey, I got a game. I need players, right? You can you can match up with people. And okay, so what I it. did is uh, – and not to get too much into it, but I took uh, one of the guys I played with in the bar, one of my really good friends from high school, uh, one random person who we met off of 
the uh, the the sort of clearinghouse and um, one good friend of a friend from the Star Trek convention scene <laughs> all got together and we basically hire this dude out of Indiana to run this Dungeons and Dragons game for us. Cool. Uh, and it's fun. And we're doing it for a year um, and it's cool. But I was telling myself, I'm going to do my own game. I'm going to dungeon master a game. Sure. I've got a whole idea for a homebrew world with all sorts of deep lore. I've been writing it down for a while. I have all these ideas and I'm going to actually have a game together. Maybe, maybe I'll run it in a different system. Maybe I'll run it in this system. I own a bunch of different system books now, right? It's like, Oh, which one am I going to do? It was like my new year's resolution. And now it's July and I am like not anywhere close to doing anything remotely like that. Um, and so, I mean, I guess I could probably pull it off, but but it's uh, it's not where it needs to be. And, and so we're, a, we're, yeah. we're pleased to announce the platinum members <laughs> of Overthinking It can play. I mean, maybe if that if that if that is what people want, that could push me over. Maybe I would actually start doing it. But I warn you, this is a case of like I haven't practiced doing less ambitious versions of this, right? So like I'm not necessarily good. It's it's sort of one of those things where it's like your first car is a Ferrari and you end up wrapping it around a tree, right? Yeah. Um, but whatever, you know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe. So, maybe so we'll have do you that. returning a little bit to the to yeah. the topic? Ha, have you yes. been successful at keeping a journal at at other points in your life? Because I I never have. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I kept a journal for like the first three months of college. Uh huh. That was pretty much it. And then there was a few other times where I've started journals and kept it up here and there. There'll be like an entry and then like a couple of months or then a couple of years. I did one in middle school where I think there's like six or seven entries for the whole time. Oh, I did one. The first journal I ever did was when I was like seven or eight years old. And I, my family, my dad took me on a business trip to Europe. Uh -huh. And he got me a marble notebook and wrote PD's European Journal on the front uh -huh. of it. And it involves like a couple of crude pencil sketches of things that I saw at Madame Tussauds. And it's like, I liked Superman, right? And this is drawing of the Superman statue at Madame Tussauds in London. Uh -huh. And like, you know, I had, a, I had a, a pretzel or something, right? Like, and that's that. But yeah, here and there. I've kept journals here and there. They have never been consistent over time. Yeah. Um, and they just tend to be little little snapshots. I mean, I studied I studied playwriting with Deb Margolin. So I did a ton of automatic writing. Uh, during that period, which you could conceive of as something of a journal, right? It's like every day you had to write for, you know, however long it was, like half an hour, four or five minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. There, there, um, there was a popular, like, artistic, uh, you know, like, method book that was published yeah. called The Artist's Way um, in the, I think, early 90s, where that was, that type of automatic writing was was a big part of the technique. Yeah, the artist way, the artist no way. <laughs> no, sorry. So, no so Matt, <laughs> let's let's continue to burn time before we get to the main topic. Did you have any ambitions to get any creative project done during that championship season? Pete, I wanted to become a Twitch streamer. <laughs> you did? I kind of did. Yes. Oh man, that would have been great. <laughs> or a or a or a YouTube star. You know, more to okay. the point with more to yeah. the point with with Bo Burnham. Here's the thing. Right, Pete. Here's the thing about computer programming materials and the internet, um, because yeah, one estimate I've heard is that the the number of people employed as computer programmers uh, doubles every five years. Um, oh wow! Give it, you know, yeah, because given the uh, the growth of of I guess what we call tech, but also the idea that things that we call tech are actually, you know, the manufacture of software has become uh, integral to a lot of different industries that are not 
strictly speaking, what you'd think of as, as, you know, tech quay tech. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, I experienced that in my real world life all the time in sure. my real world job. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, yeah. so you have to have like, you have to maintain a group of software engineers, right. And because of this sort of explosive growth of that, of that practice, right. The, the, whether it's doubling every five years or, you know, or not, um, it's, it, it is explosive growth. It's, it's, um, really, really, uh, fast. And, you know, one of the consequences of that is that, um, anyone, uh, at, at any given time, right. Y- y- half of, half of the population of people engaged in this, uh, professional activity have less than five years experience at it. Mm. Right. Because, because, right, right, because right. it's doubling. Right. Yeah. So can you imagine a world in, in which half of bridge builders, you know, had fewer <laughs> than five, uh, years of experience in, um, or I should, I, I, five years experience is a single collective noun here had less than five years experience, uh, at any given time. It would be terrifying. And yet this, this is the world we live in. Uh, and, and it is terrifying. And so because of the, because of the growth, of the industry, there's a lot of material and, and because of its sort of desirability, because, you know, um, computer programmers are overpaid. Um, the, uh, there's a lot of educational material that's targeted on like learning, learn to code, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there isn't a, a lot of, and so, you know, some of it is very, very good. Like, you know, if you're interested, I can give you my recommendation. Yeah. Should I do this, Matt? Is no, this where, you, know? you absolutely should not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> should I stick with my homebrew Dungeons and Dragons campaign that That's, might be in Pathfinder second edition or something? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, okay. Pathfinder second edition. Oh, really? Not the, uh, not the short lived, um, Star Trek RPG that was. <laughs> Yes, it's going to it's going to be in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine RPG from 1996 or 97, whatever it was. Um, no, it's going it's going to be in uh, it's going to be just a Dungeon World campaign, and I'm just going to let it up to everybody. No, it's it's it's, it's like Gonzo says in I, I forget which Muppets movie, which is like you know uh, he's <laughs> he's becoming a movie star, but he's not doing it by going to Hollywood because that's too easy. He's doing it by going to Bombay. You got to take the hard road, you know? Yeah. Um, so a lot of, lot of introductory material, but, and, and, and there's a lot of advanced material. The advanced material very often takes the form of like scientific papers, which, you know, if you have the background to read those or, or abstract mathematics in some, in some cases, like, you know, I've read some category theory recently in the course of like professional development that I think is fun. I'm, it's of questionable utility. So so you're in the right work is what you're saying. It's definitely fun. Um, but I, I, well, I don't know if I'm in the right work. I, I, I guess I'm suited to the job I have. To the <laughs> but you wanted to be a Twitch streamer. Yeah. Um. Well, there, there's no, there's no intermediate material, right? Oh. There's no, there's all kinds of apprenticeship material, and then there is just the practice of the thing, which is the mastery material. But there's no journeyman material for right. for this. And I, I really, I actually still think that I like, I'm giving my away my best ideas free on this podcast on this make a million dollars as a Twitch streamer podcast, right? That like, I think that you could really, really do well speaking to people in the kind of the middle stages of the career progression in this, in this particular field. And I, you know, I have a particular way 
given my background that I, I have done it with people who have worked for me and it's worked reasonably well. And I, you know, I could put that into some kind of like educational, you know, form and uh, usually in the form of video. Cause uh, like that's oh. for whatever reason, that's the form that I prefer. So I wanted this to This is become, much less absurd than I thought it was going to be. I, I wanted to become a coding Twitch streamer. Oh, uh, you're not going to just play. I, I want to be the guy or like <laughs> hollow night, just like all the time. Just like, you know, I used to have interests, but now I have undertale. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get a green screen, put it behind my gaming rig, put a chair, nice. you know, and nice. just start, start doing it. No, there are people who, uh, no, there are people who do like, uh, and the advent of code, I, the, which is a fun yearly, um, contest that this one person runs where there's like a different computer programming problem uh posted every day of of december right and that uh i i was watching people twitch streaming the the their work at these things um you know as as they were doing it and i i don't know i just it seemed seemed like fun you know gets gets to my uh enjoyment of of performing and and stuff like that anyway that's that's what i wanted to do but neither of us pete neither of us had uh the wherewithal to uh go into our guest house our guest house you stay with me stay with me here yeah okay (laughs) right and uh go into our guest house and film ourselves uh monologuing and performing music that we had composed um you know, using a camera, using lights, using various kinds of automation and, and, you know, technical, uh, things and to turn that into a Netflix special, which is a, a comedy or performance art piece, uh, called Bo Burnham Inside. Uh, neither right. of us, neither of us did that unless, unless right. I'm much mistaken, Pete. No, no. As far as I can tell, I don't have any missing hours that can't be accounted for by childcare. Got it. So, and yeah. it's, I don't think this was some sort of fugue state project that we had endeavored upon. Yeah, and I don't. I, think, I, yeah. I don't have a. I don't have a guest house that is just full to the brim with LED <laughs> LED lights and uh, you know uh, cameras and and controllers and. and I'm not stuff. allowed to be. I'm not allowed to have a guest house because of wetland rules and watershed rules. So we. Uh, we. I have. I have a guest thicket. Which probably hosts a family of deer, but uh, maybe a guest uh, burrow or a guest hollow at the base of an upturned tree. But uh, I, I haven't found any Fresnels or anything in there, that, or any like LEDs that might lead me to think that there's been some independent video production taking place. Well, so we watched uh, Bo Burnham's Inside for this yes! uh, for this podcast and to to discuss. And what um, I don't know did. Did you, I mean, as a, as an artistic ambition, it, I, I suppose make a comedy special given that he is a comedian or sort of performance art comedian musician, uh, sort of yeah. person who got his start on YouTube, right? He like blew up really big on, on YouTube. Um, one of the early people to do that. So like make, uh, make YouTube style videos, right? What was, um, certainly a, a, Certainly in his wheelhouse, you know, this way I asked if you'd ever successfully kept a journal before, because I have plans to do all kinds of things that I have no indication that I'd be any good at. <laughs> but, uh, you know, make, uh, you know, make television specials is, um, is something that at least he had had some success at before. <laughs> so, yes. the, yeah, right. Well, this was the, something, I mean, it's, it's part of the text of the piece that this is a thing he has been doing in the past that has been disrupted 
by that championship season. Mm. You know, this is this going to be one of those things like when I called Gloucester the glow where I'm going to really commit to it for <laughs> a little bit and not a single other person is ever going to uh, pick up this term. <laughs> I should just rotate the nicknames that I have for it. Right. Um, this uh, but the year of living dangerously. I'm sorry. I'll uh, say, well, no, it wasn't a year of living dangerously. It was a year of living very, very safely, yeah, like, as safely as humanly possible. That was, uh, so, you know, it was and, the during the unsafe at any speed time. Uh, but yes, yes, it's um, during, so during that championship season. All right, Pete, I'm yes. I'm going to go with you. I'm I'm doubling it, down you know, on that this. That was a that was a pity. That was a pity uh, adoption, but I do appreciate it because you know we could all use a little pity sometimes, which is sort of the theme of the Bo Burnham special. Also, pity, pity and fear. <laughs> it's catharsis. Yeah, it's, there it's you pity go. And fear, you know? There you go. Uh, but yeah, so so I think part of the it is a, it is a piece that is concerned with its own justification, right? Sure. So it, part of its justification is that this is something that he has been doing heretofore. But but of course, it's interesting because he goes on this sort of jokey, okay, okay, I'm going to take a step back here, and I'll go back to the Overthinking It podcast, favorite stand-up comics, uh, Stuart Lee, apparently, is now our favorite stand-up comic, right? I, I am the only Stuart Lee super stan on the, on the podcast, but I'm happy to I dedicate our podcast. I mean, I don't super stan to- any stand-ups anymore. Uh, just because I can't trust that they won't misbehave or haven't misbehaved at some point. Ne- never. So oh God, never tweet your heroes. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's like man, back in the day, I used to love Dennis Miller. It was a long time ago. Um, but uh, and it, you don't know. Yeah, I'm not even going to. Yeah, get who on has that. who has two thumbs and is not going to see Patton Oswalt uh, reopen Largo this week? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but uh. But right, it's it's uh, so it's it ha- so to go back to Stuart Lee, right? The idea of a joke is to take the proposition right and to overstate it in an absurd way, right? Is is that's how it's his? I mean, this is not a like he says all of, sta- all, of stand- all of stand up comedy is yeah. either you take a perceived truth and you overstate that for comic a comic effect, or you take a contrary position because right. it's contrary and you overstate that for comic yeah. uh, comic effect, and that is all of stand up comedy explained. <laughs> right. So this show is the fir- former, right, where he takes at least a proposition he thinks is true, yeah. and overstates it for mm-hmm. comic effect. Sure. And the the first proposition that he thinks is true is that given these so so and this and this is so interesting right because that championship season felt different for each of the people in it right it's sort of like what you were dealing with at the time there were so many different things that you could have been really concerned with uh that we can't really expect that any two randomly selected people were highly concerned about the same things but also when during the course of 2020 you checked in with somebody is probably going to inform to a great degree what they're primarily and fundamentally concerned about sure. right um, so, I mean, for me, disproportionately, it was like safety of my family, right? Um, how that, how the H E double hockey sticks, am I going to function with a screaming child and I have to do my work, my work from my house, right? Yep. But not, but not quite as bad off as the people whose kids are actually running around, right? But for a lot of other people, it's like, oh man, my entire social scene has just been entirely cut off from me. Uh-huh. Whereas I had sort of left, I had sort of voluntarily left a lot of it behind and was mourning it. But like, it's sort of like crossing the bridge and looking back and it's gone. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, I guess I'm on my own now. Um, but, but at any rate, his big proposition at first that he's overstating is that given the, the demands of the moment, particularly of the moment, which I think is important uh, in terms of, of, I don't think he's saying that's something that's permanently the case. But uh, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, but I'm saying this felt very much like a crisis. This was a sort of come to Jesus kind of moment. Um, It is not 
ethically proper for him, a white man, to tell jokes or to entertain people, to like use his energy to amplify, to to say things with his own voice and amplify his own voice uh, in the pursuit, and particularly of of uh, mirth, right, uh, frivolity, as it were. Um, and of course, which he lumps in all sort of, of humor, uh, including satire and all sorts of other stuff. Like he shouldn't be doing this, right? Dust, dust thou think, Bo Burnham. <laughs> but the the um, but he doesn't really believe it, right? The best part of that is where he's like, "Should I give away all my money?" No, <laughs> which is part of the refrain, right? I could give away all my money. No, because <laughs> I won't. That's not how this yeah. works. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, it, yeah, it's it, that is interesting that it's it's funny, like I when it, where I press to say what what this, you know, video thing is about. Right. Like and I, I, I don't know what to call it. I'll call it the special, you know, right. um, the because it's it's a I don't know, because <laughs> because it's not a regular um, yeah. <laughs> I, like uh, I'll call it the special the the what the special is about it. it I would not have necessarily gone to that. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily have gone to that part, right? To that early part where it's like, okay, it's about sort of the anxiety over, you know, can, can he do this professional activity? Like, can he do stand up comedy morally, uh, under the conditions of that, you know, he was identifying in, in, in 2020, um, you know, which, you know, not only, you know, widespread isolation and, and, you know, sort of economic devastation and, and, you know, various kinds of disruptions in life, but also protests about race and the, the, you know, horror and, and, uh, shock over, over, um, over that and the, the, like the, uh, just the, a kind of a growing sense that, what that society is changing or should change. Um, and that like, you know, uh, I, I really wouldn't have, because the, the, the latter part, you know, are, are sort of uh, about him, uh, like depicting a sort of nervous breakdown, you know, from, from the isolation. He's, He's very concerned about everybody else for like the first couple of months. Right. And then it's like, he just becomes dissociated. Like, and it literally. is, yeah, really. Yeah. And it is, it is interesting. Like it does tell a story in that, like there is, there is a progression to it. There is change over time, right. In the, in the concerns of the, of the thing. So like, it's, you know, it's about, uh, it's about a lot of things. It's about like sort of under these conditions with these convictions, what, what does it mean to, you know, want to do com- I mean, like what even is comedy? I'm not even sure, you know, that what he does, it, though much of it is very funny. I mean, I'm not sure in what sense it's comedy as we understand that. Right. And in what Humor, sense maybe not comedy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. In, what, in what sense it's, it's something else like, because he does some sort of parodies of, of standup comedy in the special that I think are very good, you know, they're there and sort of like lampoons that, <laughs> well, guys, you know, we're all talking about it. Like, uh, Hey, I'm just the guy who's willing to say it. You know, that, that sort of like uh club comic, um, type of voice, you know, and it's very, uh, it's very, it's very interesting. I mean, I think, I, I think some of those targets are strawmen, but like he hits, them, you know, then, and like, it's, it's, 
and it's funny, like I, I laughed at a lot of it, but like, so it's, it's, so it's concerned with this kind of what this social responsibility angle, yeah. it, it is concerned with the kind of the ongoing, you know, for a person who's been pretty upfront about having, having struggled with, uh, like, um, he, he stopped performing because, and he's, you know, talked about this publicly that about having panic attacks on stage during performances, um, right. apparently without the audience being aware that this was, that this was going on. And it's like, yeah, of course the audience is, isn't yeah. aware that it's going on. Like, um, Hey, they don't care about you really. <laughs> and I don't mean that yeah. in a mean way, but, um, but that like, uh, you know, the, the kind of the state of his mental health and then also sort of the, the change in the culture, uh, wrought by, uh, digitization and, and networking and, you know, um, social media broadly conceived of and defined um and and that like these these things i'm I'm not sure there is a relationship among all of these different topics except that they happen to be on his mind at a a given time but if there is we'll uncover it on this podcast because that's what we do they are they are dysregulating yeah right like they are i mean again that this is sort of like this is sort of i guess the term that i would use at work is solution jumping Uh right but I, I would think that there is a sense of general arousal, right, associated with all these things. Sure. General agitation and um, yeah, nervous system arousal. You're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I mean, I also, I too was a comedian who suffered from pretty bad mental health problems. So, you know, hey, you know, buy, buy my seminar, right? Um, but uh, and I'm, I'm saying that from my my own, from my own experience of using therapy to attempt to recover from comedy. Um, uh, which, 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 is, which is the dramatic, which is overstating a true position for comedic effect. Um, not quite exactly what it was, but sort of, uh, one of the mistakes I think that it's really easy to make when you're involved in something like humor, right? Which, in which you produce, you, you participate in a thing and in exchange for the thing, you get validation, you get positive feelings, right? You get the relief of laughter and revelry, Right. Um, is to put into opposition with one another, you know, the laughter, the revelry, the validation, and the sort of sensation, the sort of the narrativization of the sensation of you when you're having your thing, whatever your thing is, right? And and one of the very important things to remember is that the things are not all the same, and they abide by very, very different rules, So, uh, which I always get a little bit irritated by when I see, again, on the social medias, kind of mental illness described, you know, very, very super broadly, right? Like, you know, as as just depression or as just anxiety, right? And uh, you have to kind of figure out how you work. Um, but... But the idea that you can stop the f- sadness with the laughter, right? This is like the Pagliacci problem, right? Uh-huh. Like, I am Pagliacci. And that but, doc- seems- but doctor, I am Bo Burnham. Exactly, exactly. And that seems like a real dagger, and it does. Um, something that takes the sharpness off of it a little bit is, is, I think, trying to, if this works for you, if this is one of the things that works for you, uh, seeing the opposite of these negative feelings. And again, this is maybe more if you have more of an anxiety thing. Right. Um, and I'm not saying it will cure you, but I think that it helps make sense of some sort of degrees or experience of this thing is that the opposite of anxiety is not glee. Right. The opposite of anxiety is not like transportative revelry. It's it's calm. Right. 
and and kind of reducing your overall overall level of stimulation. It can be actually pretty tough to be ramping up your level of stimulation to feel good in order to counteract a high level of stimulation that makes you feel bad because your body doesn't necessarily know what the stimulation is for or what's happening. Right. And and like uh, and in general, you know, if the whole point is that the stimulation is kind of firing the wrong way, uh, it might keep firing the wrong way. But I, I felt a kinship with the special in the sense that there was at least something of an idea that laughter was was going to be some sort of tonic. And yet it was understood that it was absurd that laughter was the tonic. Right. Um, sure. But also, I don't know. I just it just. uh I mean, it, with no space, with no like personal space for yourself, with no cycle, with no physical space, it's hard to metaphorically or literally uh, arrive at psychological space. Um, and the psychological space is just so important to maintaining any sort of sense of calm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think I think that that is like, um, yeah, I think that that like uh, that that is. Um, the 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 issue the issue of space metaphorically is is one that i i think it would be productive to take up because, yeah, yeah sure because the you know because i was just vomiting my own feelings and personal experiences out in the podcast in a much less well edited and shot way than bo burnham was doing well, it, we, so yeah i mean you you didn't have your this is the thing sorry okay new, new, <laughs> okay. new digression new digression right. this is the thing pete here's the thing the thing is here here's the thing the, the thing, thing is, is here. here right yeah uh I, th- the fact that we that w- that we sputter and stammer a lot in the course of doing doing this podcast, you know, and um, you know, and it's not it, it's not that like every time we've been criticized for it in the comments, I like you know make a voodoo doll of 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 myself and like uh you know just rehearse my my shame and and uh, disappointment uh, with with every mean trollish thing anyone has ever said to me. Uh, on the internet every night, and that's why I can't sleep. It's only like three three nights a month. But the the um the the, the man, I would be in trouble just from those StarCraft article comments alone. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but the 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 thing is, they're right. You know, like we do we do sort of. They're not uh, right. What are you talking about? Not the, the StarCraft, StarCraft comments. Okay. Not the StarCraft <laughs> comments. The Zelnaga <laughs> artifact is a phallic symbol. People get with the program. Jeez. Oh my god, you're so obsessed with sex. Why are you even oh my obsessed god. with sex? Soy it's- boy. Jeez. <laughs> what? What? A 40 year old man, probably a self problem. Soy is not a big part of my life. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, it's, it's the fact that we're actually trying to do it in real time. Like we don't, yeah. outla- like we are trying to, to talk in, in a somewhat ambitious way about difficult, um, difficult issues in in real time right and like the the fact that we're we're you know we don't rehearse like we just do it with live ammo you know like like we're like delta force (laughs) like there's we don't we don't ever like practice with blank rounds because what would be the point you know this is live intellectual ammo on our on our thing and that's the so you know i i i say like uh don't don't um Get too down on yourself for for uh, you know letting the ideas letting the ideas percolate a little bit, but the idea of space, um, the idea of space, right? Because like the whole the thing about the thing about the the special is that it's all shot in one physical location, 
Um, which I think, I don't know this, but I think given the final shot, spoiler alert for Bo Burnham's inside, where it like comes out, it looks like it's shot to look like a set, like a movie set, like it's shot from a high angle and there are like spotlights and stuff like that. But I think it's like a guest house. It looks like it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. It looks like it's in, in someone's home and like they have this like one room, one room place for, for a guest to stay or whatever. Um, and, you know, among the bad takes I've heard about this, uh, this work is that like, well, no, it's, you know, this is inside is bad because Bo Burnham claimed to be stuck in a studio apartment. Um, but he's actually a rich white guy who, you know, has money in a nice house. And, uh, some people were stuck in a studio apartment because they're poor and they didn't have the, the luxury of, of having it be alone. <laughs> <laughs> they're like stuck uh you know many people crammed into a studio apartment and and like you know uh his his uh thing is uh is bad because you know because that and that's exactly the kind of person who's going to give you a nervous breakdown about whether it's right to do comedy during that championship season uh <laughs> right like that's that's the sort of that's the sort of trollish comment you know that that bad take that does it like it's not it's not it's a metaphor people right like the 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 studio apartment is the studio apartment of the mind <laughs> you know that that like it, it's it's not actually he's not like making claims about his his material circumstances um you know he's 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 making claims about uh about an experience uh, you know yeah. and about what that experience is like and like sure there is a material reality like absolutely like but whatever capital r reality there is out there that reality has to be experienced and the experience is subject to interpretation you know which which is why people are different <laughs> Right, right, and that's right. that. Like, so the, the the space. I mean, the idea of the constraint of you know during a time when people are spending a lot more time in their homes. I'm going to to do this in my home. You know, technically not a lie, I suppose. But like, it's going to do it confined to a particular space, and all the things that are in it are going to be things that can be practically achieved. You know, in that space, rather than rather than things that we can like edit later, or things that we can use sets or effects or things like that all the effects are going to be effects that were you standing here in the room with me um they are you know they are things that you would observe uh as, as they happened and it just so happens that i'm using a camera to capture these things right. um and and uh you know this is puppet recording. yoda people <laughs> this is full-on puppet yoda <laughs> this is puppet yoda and uh, you know i have to say like my reaction to that aspect of it was really amazement um i it's very good on that on that score like the it has shots that i it's imaginative like it has shots that i just haven't seen before you know really uh imaginative use of of the camera by yourself like um and and the the variety that's created and sustained over the course of like the hour and change um of this of this kind of long work this long performance art piece like is was really astonishing to me because it doesn't it would be very easy to get like one or two tricks and then to do those one or two tricks over and over and over and over um and uh by and large it doesn't Right. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but my, my impression was like by, by and large, it doesn't. Uh, and it really sort of 
creates 90 minutes worth of material to put into 90 minutes rather than, you know, doing what might have been done in creating, you know, uh, 45 minutes of material. Yeah, to no, put into the different minutes. songs feel very different. And the way that they are rendered visually, right, uh, manifest visually, shot, you know, or is also each stylistically very different. Um, and I mean, even, and, and also meticulous. It's not just, you know, slightly different backgrounds. He very meticulously designed each of the setups. I mean, it made me think of something that I, I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast. One of those kind of, uh, you know, shower thoughts that you have about art, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That is, that feels deeper than it is. Um, was I was thinking once, I think it was when I was doing a 48 hour film festival, I was thinking about how subject art is to the second law of thermodynamics Mm. in the sense that like you always have to put in more than what they see Mm -hmm. even us recording this live you know there's a lot of history that goes into this there's a lot of practice that goes into it you know us and our relationship and our ability to even not talk over each other all the time nearly only sometimes uh these are all things that take additional effort that isn't part of this show and when you get into something like a, a film or video it gets even more because there's so much stuff that you film and you don't show. There's so much time that people spend, you know, sitting around. And and the way I say this is not to talk about the waste, but rather to say, you know, it's sort of it, something like a play, right? Where you spend, you take a month or two months of time, mm. right? And you distill it, yeah. right? Through, through this kind of chemical process, this metaphorical chemical process into a, uh, I guess it's a physical process if it's distillation, right? It's not chemical process, whatever, you know, let your metaphor flag fly, whatever, man. Um, Whatever, what the thing that you have at the end is kind of concentrated entropy, right? It's like concentrated spent entropy because you're seeing only that small, beautiful part of this kind of packed in uh, body of time and effort and life that went into making it. Yeah. Right. And and that's, and that's the case with film too, especially when you edit everything down because there's so much more that's, that's done and lived than what's seen. But ideally, you know, the stuff that's seen has been selected, you know, for with a, with a goal in mind that it achieves, right. Or rather the thing that have been selected achieves, uh, achieves a greatness of some sort, right. Some sort of greatness or excellence or worthwhileness, even in some small measure, uh, above, above that, which way you might just, you know, uh, with an undeveloped or untrained eye notice at random. Right. Um, something yeah. that makes it worth it. Right. hundred percent. And then, and this felt like a whole lot of work that was pulled together into some very crystalline sort of moments where the trick, where it's an Adam's curse trick, right? Where the trick is making it look easy. Right. Uh, and it, it is not easy, right? It's not easy to look that di- di- precisely that disheveled, right? <laughs> uh, now, I'm not saying he had makeup artists and everything, but it's like, you know, I mean, this is, no, it's funny because he talks an, about it, right? Yeah, it's an artifact, right? Like that, yeah. that the thing, the thing is an artifact. And the, I, this is why it's a bad take that like, you know, Bo, Bur- Bo Burnham is bad because he has a nice house. Um, because like, he's not, he's not claiming not to, right? Like he's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad take, but it's an interesting take that's trying to accomplish something specific, yeah, I suppose. which has nothing to do with this, this show, right? It's like, you know, if your job, if your goal is to like continue to hump that piano key and, and achieve some sort of instrument instrumental goal oh, let's a deep you know <laughs> i know I, I love humping the piano key right um if you're trying to achieve an instrumental goal with your criticism that's unrelated to the enjoyment of, of art 
<laughs> that like I, I I've long since discarded the notion that like these sorts of commentaries are necessarily useful to people who aren't uh, not only also involved in what you're you know, the specific cause you're talking about, but like personally involved with you. Right. It's like I get it and I get the criticism. And I think there are certain sorts of ways in which that does infiltrate on the piece, but not not because of the size of his house. I, here's what I would say. I'll say that, like the fact that he has a, a partner, right, that he's not alone um, is really interesting. And the way that he's able to so convincingly perform so much solitude when you don't get the sense that he actually lives alone. Right. Yeah. Uh, so which is which is in terms of acting, you know, interesting. Um but maybe yeah, you oppose I mean, I, acting in general, right? Because I, it's not real. I don't know. Sure. It's yeah, tough. I mean, it's like, tough. Uh, not a, I don't know. Everybody has an agenda, and and that's not bad. That's just you know recognize it, right? Sure. Um, the the um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm just ripping no, because no, this whole no, thing's about the internet. It's true. You're you're probably you're probably right, P. Because I'm not the, probably the, right. You know, <laughs> you're probably I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> I got a toddler now. It's crazy. That's the thing. If you win at raising a baby, you end up with a toddler. And then if you, you know, and it, and it just keeps going um, if you're lucky and everything, you know, Lord willing, the crick don't rise. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like it, I, I agree with you that the fact that he doesn't actually live this way, it, it would, it would mostly concern people who are thinking that this is a work of authenticity. And it's pretty clear after the first 15 minutes that it's not right. Like there's moments of it that are sort of video diaries. Sure. And it, and it looks like at first, it looks like what it's going to be is a video diary of that championship season. Yeah. And it's going to be right. Exactly. That, that this is going to be the journal and I'm going to talk yeah. to the, I'm going to talk to the camera every so often, like maybe every day and then I'll edit out the best parts and like the, yeah. or, I mean, or, or cut, cut it down to the best parts. I mean, and that, that like, um, yeah, that, that that that's but that's that's not what it no, is. It's much it's, closer to like all hail West Texas. It's right? a, it's, it's a, an album recorded under unusual circumstances. Um, sorry, go ahead. You, well, I, I mean, they were pretty. They were pretty usual for uh, for John Darnielle at the time, though. Though, I, I, Pete, I love. I feel like we've we've made from 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 your early snide comments about about the Mountain Goats or Mister Goats <laughs> as you called them. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, I feel like we've made a Mountain Goats fan out of you a little bit, and I, yeah. I'm, I If not, if overthinking it has accomplished nothing else, I feel like that has been a worthwhile use. Of I these, will say I these, know the Uvra, but these, I like the songs. These dozen <laughs> these dozen years of my time have not been misspent <laughs> you also made me a fan of the pretty reckless which is a problem uh, that's on one of my workout mixes oh but. god ryan sheely <laughs> buys me pretty reckless lps to troll me <laughs> just like for every christmas or birthday i get vinyl i get i get a uh, little j from gossip girl on vinyl singing <laughs> singing like like gothy hard rock um so the the uh sorry where where were we the the instrumentality of of criticism yeah it is i mean but no pete the thing that you're right about is like people who are angry on the internet it is many of them are professionally angry on the internet and and also like even if they're not professionally angry on the internet like probably the right attitude to take towards them is like okay you're angry on the internet Good, yeah. good for you. Uh, noted. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, um, umbr- umbrage observed. Well, uh, I mean, as this special says, it's not about you and me, right? So, like, why do we have to feel like it is, right? It's like let them say their thing, right? You know, I'll say my thing too, you know, and then uh, you know we'll see at the end of the day 
who has a couple thousand awesomest listeners in the world listening to their <laughs> podcast. Um, so the, the, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, th- that, that part is interesting and it's, it's, it's right. It's like the sort of the taking the take on it in, in like a literal thing, even though it sort of uses his, um, I mean, Stuart Lee talks, talks about this. He actually talks about it specifically in his most recent special content provider. Um, he was talking about how he can't do, uh, he can't do certain like media appearances because it's not the, uh, the sort of thing that the character of Stuart Lee would do, the kind of the persona that he uses on stage. Uh, it's right, not the sort right, of thing right. that he would do. And then he takes a pause and kind of looks out at the audience and glowers at them and he says, I hate the character of Stuart Lee. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's about at the level that you should, you should start to, yeah. to, uh, understand that, right? Like he's, he's playing a character. He's playing a, he's doing what we do on the podcast. He's, he's being a slightly exaggerated version of himself yeah. or, or maybe much exaggerated in certain, certain respects, right? Like no one is that tall, but yeah. the, um, you know, yeah. trick photography to, <laughs> to make him appear, appear so tall. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, that like, it's, I think the, the, a more interesting or, you know, maybe productive question is, is to ask what, what he's doing, you know, with, with the space rather than sort of dispute the, the authenticity. Yeah you know uh of of the space and you know what what he seems to be doing it with it is um like is bangers like christina's has taught we, we watched it together and she pointed out to me that um all these songs are huge on tiktok that like oh. you know that she knew all the songs already you know she mm. and not having seen the specials she she knew them all um, oh, this is the one about this. This is the one about this. This is the one about Jeff Bezos. Oh, there's another one about Jeff Bezos, right? Like that, like, uh, um, so that like even the way, the way it's appreciated, like the way it, uh, emerges into the world is not even totally through the, the medium for which it was designed, the, you know, the 90 minute Netflix special and has this, you know, has these, these, uh, other, other lives. And someone, I think a a critic maybe, or a podcaster or something who I heard talk about this would, would be like this, any one of these songs, you know, in quote unquote normal times, I mean, not in a, in a less successful season. (laughs) Than, than this championship one um, w- would like would win the internet for you know three days oh, yeah. or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. like that um, and and I guess a couple of them were put out as singles on uh, like uh, welcome to the internet and white woman's Instagram were put out as singles on on YouTube and and have done all right um, but that that like these are you know they're they're yeah they're good videos but sort of strung together I don't know I just like. I think there's there's something there's something to be said about like the space of like living inside your own living inside your own head and like what you know w- what is wholesome and unwholesome for right, right, for right. that condition and like um and just how you know how the kind of the enabling thing of of this of all of this technology um 
is you know sort of a double edged sword like on on the one hand it enables this this incredible expression it it, in, it enables one person to do something that is like visually distinctive and imaginative and like produce all this music solo that is you know um uh good and interesting and like fun and and they're they're good songs um they're they're good songs bronze but the uh the, the uh I guess the sort of social side of that, the hyper connection coupled with the isolation, right, is a uh, is an interesting phenomenon. And they, like uh, it, I don't know, like the the idea, the the refrain in the internet song of uh, everything all of the time. What is the internet? It's everything all of the time. You know, um, yeah, yeah, is is interesting and yeah. notably the special is not everything all of the time right the the there are some kind of like maximalist um moments you know visually or auditorily or whatever uh they're all constrained a little bit by the fact that they're being performed live you know that like you know he's changing the lights with foot switches that he's stomping on and you know is coordinating that like he does one of my favorite bits just cuz is like he uh he's uh, the camera is i don't know if it's a low exposure or a high exposure it's it's an exposure such that the room is very dark but one cell phone light you know lights up the whole thing and he like uses he uses what looks like a cell phone led flashlight to like uh, encircle his body, you know, <laughs> with yeah. it and create this like shadow that, that goes around, goes around the room. I think th- these things, the fact that, that it's going to all be done practically like on set, as it were, um, rather than being like a product of editing or a product of, of, you know, some sort of graphics manipulation, graphical manipulation after the fact, um, really grounds it. Like, because that, that constraint is very, very, uh, very, very productive here. Anyway, sorry, there were three or four different directions to go in that, Pete, and you should pick the one that you like. <laughs> sure. Um, so I will say I want to talk about insideness, mm. uh, which you mentioned. The the idea not just of being inside because it's that championship season, you can't go anywhere. Uh, it's but rather, but also being driven inward into self-consideration. And how it relates particularly to his discussion of, you know, mental illness and his particular mental illness. Uh, The thing that comes to mind, I've been very glib in this conversation about the kind of real world implication of art. And I feel like an an initial, much like Bo Burnham, being glib, glib at first is appropriate, right? But eventually you have to come around and kind of talk about it. And what I would say, in my opinion is, right, is that, uh, um, that in order to really seriously consider other people, right, you, you really need to observe other people. Uh, it, it is not merely enough to go off the models you have in your own head about what other people are experiencing or what they're like, right? And and this is not just because they're so often wrong, right? It's not often just because I hear, you know, I often hear some people talking about some other specific group of people. And then I go talk to those people and they don't match at all what the first people are saying. And if they would talk to each other, maybe everybody would have a better understanding of what's going on. But also, no, Pete, you, you cannot know. perform at that comedy theater. You can't. <laughs> they eat their young, Pete. They eat their own babies. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> the things that Pathfinder 2E online players say about Dungeons and Dragons 5E players, you don't want to read them. 
Uh, that's not true. It's more that there's too many Pathfinder 2E people that think they're being persecuted by a whole lot of people. It's the old Don Draper, I don't think of you at all kind of thing. Like, I don't even know that you exist a lot of the time. Anyway, putting that all aside, right, it seemed like at the beginning of this show, and I, and I, again, I am sort of going with the idea that the character Bo Burnham is playing has some sort of relationship with what he was experiencing in real time, but it's not one-to-one. But that early in the show, it's relatively early in the championship season, right? Uh, and as such, uh, Bo Burnham has not quite fully experienced the sort of dissociation that he says he's experiencing by the end. And it's a framing device in the show that in the beginning and in the end, he looks different. He acts different. He's experienced. He has different experiences. But in the beginning of the show, he's really highly concerned with what everybody else is dealing with. Right. In terms of like, well, you know, is what I'm doing fair? Should I let other people talk? Right. And as much as it's all a joke, there is this kind of earnest consideration of his relationship with other people. And I think one of the lies that mental illness can tell you is that you're seeing everything mm. right because you feel you can feel at least and this is my own experience as somebody who's dealt with anxiety for a long time. You feel like there's so much information coming into you. You can feel like you can see everything and you can become really blind to your blind spots, I think. Because you can get this sense that it's like, man, everything, the big truths are so overwhelming. Everything that I'm encountering is so crazy, right? That you lose the track of the fact that you're alone. And in your isolation, even if you have access to a whole bunch of sources of information, you lose a powerful tool in kind of calibrating your understanding and expectations of other people. And I think that that is part of what being inside is about, right? There is there is a question at the beginning of this as to whether other comedians should be consulted, right? It is dismissed, but it's a question. It's there for comic effect and also to acknowledge it because it's interesting. When we get to the part, even when we get as far as white women's Instagram, there's like not even a breath of consideration that the white woman should be consulted about what her Instagram is about, right? And, and it goes even on from there where it's like, all the information on the internet becomes decoupled from the people who put it there, right? Which is, I think, how a lot of us experience it, especially if you're in that sort of like, I'll call it a fugue state, which is an overstatement, right? If you're in that sort of altered consciousness trance state of just absorbing tons, doom scrolling, right? If you're doom scrolling, I think, you know, I think it's it's demonstrable that you lose track of who is saying what. Uh, I mean, this is the whole source amnesia thing that we wrote about. Gosh, did I write about this back in... Um, I'm trying to remember which pop culture property I used to write about source amnesia. Was it like Fast and Furious 4? Um, <laughs> but, but it's like the swift boating phenomenon, right? It's the idea that if you repeat a lie often enough, yep. if people remember the lie or whatever, if you repeat something often enough, given enough time, people will forget the context in which they heard it, mm -hmm. right? Who said it? Right. And who said it is important for putting in context what you're hearing. And one of the big problems, I think, with the fire hose of information on the Internet is you do become totally detached from the people who are saying things by design. Right. You know, it's 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 by design meant to kind of detach things from the original. You know, it's a document repository. Sure, and it's you also leave something. You take yeah, something. Exactly. It's like a penny tray. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's right. That And that like. um it, even if it weren't, this is completely setting aside the fact that this phenomenon is weaponized in, you know, in a lot of ways by people who are trying to, you know, bring about certain results out in the non-digital world. Even right. absent that, right? 
it, it you know it just happens uh, as, you know as you talk about uh, as you talk about your your online tabletops um <laughs> like uh you know and uh fight fight vehemently about you know the 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 superior tabletop um on online and so okay so so one of one of the things that kind of the that a kind of an unwholesome mental state can uh, uh, can bring about in you is the, the false perception that, that you're seeing everything or that you have all the, the salient information. Yeah. Let me give you an example from Bo Burnham, right? Yep. So th- there's that wonderful little piece, which feels so apt where it's like, can anybody shut up about anything? Right. <laughs> <laughs> can anybody shut up about anything for, for five minutes? Right. And, and it's like, well, I'm not doing it, of course, but you know, that's because I'm, you know, going to sing this song. But it's almost it almost reads like a skit from a rap album right? where it's like, can anybody shut up about anything? Uh, I mean, again, to contrast it with white woman Instagram, right? <laughs> like if this woman is just posting about goat cheese and apparently grief over. OK, I'll ask you this. Is this another misreading by me? Because I feel like I do these wishful thinking misreadings where I read something is really dark and I and I get something profound out of it. And it turns out I'm just wrong um, in white woman Instagram. Is the white woman's mom, has she been dead for 10 years? And there's this sort of brief moment in the middle of the song where all of a sudden the Instagram gets really, really serious. And then it sort of sets into a new context, all the posting about nice things that happens afterwards. Yes. No, that's correct. Okay. So that's part of the song because I think you can read the song – Without no, I think the song that. the song is about what you are. Yeah, exactly. You could you could read the song as like mocking a callow expression of grief, and that's I think that's not what's going on at all. Right, right. right. I think that it's I I think that it's like about how how the sort of the trivial and the profound coexist, and mm-hmm. I think it's also you know sort of it it relates to the phenomenon that you're you're talking about in which you somehow somehow it breaks through in these sort of depersonalizing contexts. You know, like like scroll like Instagram scrolling, you know, do more otherwise (laughs) that like uh, sometimes something a little more humane breaks through and it it is jarring, you know, Uh, it is jarring when that happens because it it forces you to consider the humanity of the person that, uh, you know, rather than just um, the fact that they are, uh, uh, you know, the the fact that they're doing all these all these annoying cliche things. Uh, I'm given to understand that the the meme with with white woman's Instagram is on TikTok is that you listen to the song and you stop when uh, you reach a description of something that you yourself have posted. <laughs> on, Love it. On, I not get past goat cheese. That's for sure. The the uh, apparently the uh, the one that just trips everybody up. The the apparently the most popular thing on Instagram is uh, tiny pumpkins. <laughs> Nice. Tiny pumpkins. That's is awesome. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Is, is the one. But, so, but like, but, sorry. Yeah. So, so I was going to say is the white one on Instagram, there's a whole lot of stuff that she's not talking about, right? Sure. That's the kind of a big part of the point of the song. And yet there's also a song or a piece in the same piece that says everybody's always talking about everything. And I think that what, what the conclusion draw from that, of course, is you don't hear the people who aren't talking. Sure. You think every one of the experiences of this sort of dissociative doom scroll state is you only hear the people that are talking. And so, of course, you assume everybody is talking all the time, right? Yeah. All the time. But it, with the people who aren't talking, they don't exist to you. 
And so, and, and, and also, to, also, yeah. you think that everybody is talking about everything and yeah. both parts of that. Like they're, they're not yeah. everybody talking and to you and to you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or about you or around you sure. in some way that relates to you. But yeah, exactly. They're all talking and yeah, exactly. About something all the time. And, uh, and they're not, you know, a lot of the time they're not. And, uh, and you don't know that, you know, and that's just sort of cognitive bias. Right. And that's be on these, the way that these sorts of platforms work in the way that the human mind works is, um, that's part of the dissociation, right? Is, uh, is not, is realizing that a lot of people aren't participating and they just aren't there. Yep. Right. Um, because they're all fine, tiny pumpkins. Sure. And like the, that, that there's a world outside. Right. And I think that yeah. one of the things that the, you know, the outsideness, right. Is, mm-hmm. is other minds. Um, yeah. but it's also like, it's also the idea that you're not having the sum total of all experience, right? Like that, that what you're experiencing, that the, the idea that it's everything all of the time is actually kind of a lie, you know? Uh, it is, it is hyper simulation, sure. Um, but that, that, that's not actually everything. Uh, and even, even if it were everything, it's not everything all of the time because you're not, you know, um, because you're not, uh, because you've forgotten that you know this poor this poor woman you know nestled comfortably in her flannel shirt is you know uh, lost her mother tragically like a couple of years ago and is just trying to just trying to like do something nice for herself every yeah. now and again. <laughs> I will say also none of you like any of my posts that aren't of my baby. Like you did it to yourselves. <laughs> like, I get so much more, and it's so funny. I well, get what so you, much more what engagement. Are you, what do you, Pete? The algorithm? Like, what do you? You know, the posts are for you. <laughs> the posts are for you. You're not trying to maximize engagement. You know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally such a. That's such. A, I want to refer to this phenomenon now as inside thinking. Right. It's I like did this, like. It, yeah. I I did like your sort of corrective post that like I I know I post all the all the cute pics. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's one where my beloved son went just just went ape for no yeah. particular reason <laughs> over some noodles. That, yes. that. Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it is funny. I'm not going to talk about this at length because I know you haven't watched it, but I will say that I watched Bo Burnham's Inside concurrent with watching the Amazon show Carson, uh, Clarkson's Farm, which is as close to outside as you're going to get, right? Which is about a uh, decadent uh, late middle age uh, auto journalist who has done all sorts of zany, goofy stunts and also has like been phoning it in on his various you know newspaper columns for years and years and years. Uh, he has bought a farm that he has never really worked at over the course of the 13 years he's owned it, and he decides to work at it. Uh, and it's all about how he does everything wrong, and, and people always criticize him for his mistakes. And the ultimate lesson is about how hard farming is. But it's also like, and, you know... And, but really, it's about how hard it is to be a white British person. You know, Everyone's always uh, telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, I mean, only insofar as much as like there's only five or six people in the show, <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, it, 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 I mean, that's that's part of it. Right. It's like, well, because everybody's because he's talking about himself. He's you know, he's being he's he's myopic and he's self-concerned. And also there's the question of how much of it is a character. A lot of it is probably not a character. But the point of it is that in the show there that a, there's a scene in which Jeremy Clarkson, he's given birth to a sheep. He's like birthed the sheep himself. Right? 
He's delivered the sheep. He's oh, not given okay. birth to it. He's delivered. Oh, got it. He has delivered dozens of sheep babies, right? And he is one of the sheep babies is failing to thrive. Uh. And he takes the sheep baby into his office and puts it in a little pen on some straw and like gets up intermittently through the night to like feed it milk in the hopes that it's going to survive until the morning. Yeah. And in the morning, it's dead. Oh. And there's a shot of him like petting a dead sheep. Right. And then, of course, by the end, there are lamb chops. Right. So, like, there's a whole range of experience. The point being that, like, there felt like a very powerful contrast between Jeremy Clarkson, like, delivering the babies, trying to keep them from dying, mostly successfully, not always successfully, this deep sadness when that couldn't happen, and then also killing them and eating them. Right. As like all things that he would not have encountered if he had not gone outside. Sure. Right. And like that, these are all very foreign to his experience. Right. Um, and would have been foreign to my experience if I hadn't seen the show and are still foreign to my experience because I haven't been there or talked to any of those people. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's do you like, think the, do you think the, the guest picket could be replaced as like a guest pen? Of some kind. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, you know, I, I like, I really like Pete Fenzel, gentleman farmer, you know, <laughs> I mean, it would probably be fun. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, every once in a while you see something and you're like, was that what I was meant to do? Right. Like, that's what my ancestors did. Was I supposed to do that? Because I sometimes feel like I'm terrible at what I'm doing now. Right. Like, uh, and, and, oh, yeah. Uh, no, I feel like that. I feel like that uh, when I see Bo Burnham <laughs> make, his, <laughs> make his Netflix special. I used to feel that way when I saw uh, original plays performed. And I haven't seen an original play performed in God knows how long, so oh, I have no idea. Time. I still this don't is, feel that way. This is why all arts education should be cut from schools, Pete. Because, <laughs> because get the kids in the field. <laughs> no, it just it, it just creates bitterness. You know, it's just like I like I I look at Bo Burnham as a like a musician, you know, musician sort of theatrical performance artist writer, and and I see very strongly my unlived life, and I I feel this sort of unchecked unchecked envy right like you know be like uh what what being very good looking and also eight feet tall wasn't enough for you buddy like (laughs) you know you had (laughs) you had to get really good at the piano also you know you uh you had to connect with a with a you know wide global audience of of super fans on you know on the internet just as as is becoming possible to do so like you had to have the right you had to be the right guy at the right time you know living living my unlived that's my unlived life Bo Burnham, but I might, <laughs> I might just be, uh, I might just be a little too inside. Were, were you also accepted to Tish to study experimental theater and then just decided not to go because you were already good at it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, not to Tish. But I, I have an MFA, Pete. I, have, I know, I know, I know. I have an actual graduate degree, I know. professional degree in the arts. I am qualified to teach other people to have professional degrees. It should not be necessary to say that these feelings of envy are not important. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel that one of the big disservices the current moment does to all of us is like, I have to say that now. Do I like, again, I, I don't, nobody cares. You know, nobody listening to this thinks that, that that what we're talking about is uh, is sort of the grand design of society. But I will just say, yeah, the, in the and I think and I think Bo Burnham is bad. I think Bo Burnham is bad because <laughs> he has. Fame. I think the private he sector has... makes people perfectly capable of resenting each other without giving you a <laughs> profound educational experience. You don't need any education to feel bitter about other people doing better than you. Yeah, uh, I learned exactly. that at Clarkson's farm. He's uh, <laughs> he's he's. he's uh... 
you know, and I, and, and what do I have? A dream of a YouTube channel, a dream of a Twitch stream yeah. is, you know, is, what, is all, is all I have me and my dead cheap. Look, you know what? The best time to start is, is yesterday, but the second best time to start is today, man. So uh, after this is over, what I'm saying is I want you to download The Last of Us 2 and we're going on. To, we're doing live stream. We're going we're to do 24 hour stream of, of the two of it. We're going to we're going to play. We're going to play Overwatch for 48 hours for <laughs> for kids with cancer. And uh, and, and it's going to be instant stardom. Uh, we're not going to do any of those things. No, uh, don't don't don't. Yeah, don't get excited. I mean, I don't know. I have a child. I have to. to, I'm taking my son to meet his cousins, uh, you know, two hours away, and we're leaving at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, Although I have the day off, so that's good. Uh, Uh, Such a thing could be described as a day off, uh, which it can (laughs) be because I won't be at work. Um, and that's how life changes. Sometimes. Exactly. Off, off from work. So, yeah, so it's a, yeah. so it's a strenuous day as opposed to a day at work is what you're saying. Did I mention again, did I mention yet how one of the things that I felt watching this, this episode or this special, the special as it were, uh-huh. is just like how much of just a fundamentally different attitude about people, uh, I feel like I'm now going to have from somebody who, really experienced that championship season as a single person. Yes. It, it's just, it's, I mean, like I, and again, I kind of, I definitely feel regretful. Um, I feel, I don't feel regretful. I feel sympathetic. I feel sympathy because I know I, okay. I felt through the championship season that my problems as a parent who is trying to work and who was worried that there wasn't that childcare was, it was going to close. Right. Or, or, you know, again, I didn't have a school age child, so that wasn't an issue for me, but definitely the issue of like, what am I going to do with this kid when the kid is in my space, when I'm trying to do my job, it feels impossible. And I felt like a lot of people raised that voice as parents. And certainly the number of community meetings that I listened to live stream would suggest that they were largely listened to, right? If not always helped and certainly not, if not fairly or universally helped, I felt like that voice was loud and politically involved. Right. And I mean, in the United States, and I don't think, I don't really think that people who were single at the time, I don't, I don't really feel like I heard their voice about what was really bothering them. I heard a lot of altruism about what they felt like was bothering other people, which is really nice. Right. You know, which is really, really fine and, and, and wonderful and to their credit. Right. Like we need to use this as a moment to help everybody. Right. Sure. What about you? Yeah. Right. What about you? And I'm not saying that to say that everybody isn't important, but you are part of everybody. Uh, right. And and one of the things I saw I wa- when I was watching this, I was like, man, I should watch a lot more of these like long ones, not just like little social media things. But like I want to I want to see the other big art projects that people worked on during the championship season <coughs> that are any good. <coughs> right. Like like uh, because I want to see the experience communicated through, you know, it's, you know, various lenses of inauthenticity and whatnot, right. Of younger people who didn't have families to care for, right. Little babies or little children's because that was my experience. And it is, it looms so huge in my mind. Right. And it, it would have been, it would have been moderately isolating no matter what, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I kind of had a moment like this, like sort of in which during the financial crisis, I like worked from home for a long time because there was nobody in my office and I felt really profoundly isolated. And I was in a one bedroom apartment, uh, you know, next to a next to a 
dental vendor truck depot uh, that had a sign that would clatter in the wind and there were dental trucks always coming and going. I don't know what teeth they were carrying or who needed them. Uh, but I mean, I was recording the podcast at the time. This is like early days of the podcast. And by the end of it, I was like really in bad shape. Um, it just, it, it felt like I'd experienced as a single person and it was unbelievably awful. It was just like team fortress two until three or four in the morning, like every night. Sure. Right. Like, and it, and it's, which is just not good. Um, now granted, I think I was still doing theater at the time. So I was seeing people, but like, man, that's rough. And, and to, the idea that everybody went through something much, much worse than that is the only frame of reference I have for it. I mean, Matt, you, you sure, obviously the, the, weren't I, caring for children, no. right? Um, but, but, and I, and I think of you as somebody who's like, you know, more mature, but you also like, you weren't caring for children, right? What was it like more, for you that championship more, season? More mature like, than, than we were in our twenties. I, God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think I was just awful in my twenties. It was awful. Yeah. It was terrible. But the, um, what, by not caring for children, I felt very lucky, you know, comparatively, okay. like, and we, you know, we have college friends who live in, in Los Angeles and like, I spent once you know it became possible to sort of go outside and see people under certain kind of highly regulated highly policed conditions like you know i started like going to the um going to the beach with javier's kids you know and like yeah. uh stuff like that like i i just felt so so much for uh for those people and and you know and that like um you know, because like the for for people with school age kids, like the, there was there was no way out that that wasn't bad. You know, you know that wasn't sort of that didn't feel awful a lot. That didn't sort of feel like uh, that didn't feel like failure. Like it's impossible to judge to juggle two adults working at a table and you know a preschooler who just needs like constant attention and and sort of stimulation and engagement and a, a grade school child who is you know trying to master some spelling thing or whatever like and and two adults who are trying to you know not lose their jobs yeah. in an environment you know um i mean i i don't know i was a little worried because i was laid off uh early yeah in the, yeah. In the the thing, but you know, and and for a lot of months, it was not sort of clear what the economics would be, and it you know, it turns out I I went back to a, I went back to a, um, sort of earlier stage of my career, and and you know, started working for myself again. But that that's I guess that there it is, Pete. That, that I've kind of meandered to the to the point that I want to make. What, what it felt like was to a certain extent a kind of regression. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and that, which my, my, my child having friends did not, did not experience it that way. That to, to them, it felt like a kind of slow motion emergency a lot of, a lot of the time. Um, but the, you know, just in terms of the number of things that had to be, uh, done and the difficulty of, of doing those things. But the, the, um, you know, it was a, uh, professionally, you know, kind of, a, kind of regression. Like it was, it was personally kind of a regression because even though, you know, like I, I live with my girlfriend, the, the, we're not really meant to operate socially in, in an environment where like one person is the only person you see. Uh, you know, it, it just does not, it's not what this particular animal is, is designed for. This particular human social animal is, is, um, is designed for. So like, I think that, you know, I think that like the isolation, 
Um, it, you know, especially among my male friends, like it, I think you could observe it a lot more in our younger days. Right. And the, so the social isolation felt like a regression as, yeah. as well. And that, you know, um, yeah. And that, that, uh, that yeah. d- sort of that, you know, that, that sort of experience was, mm, uh, I don't know, sort of, it was moderately challenging. And, you know, there were times when I sort of, I, I, there were times still when I sort of despaired for the Republic, uh, not, oh, not well, really, yeah, yeah. not really pandemic related. And, I mean, but there, there, and there, there were times when I sort of really wondered about the, the, the devastating toll of this, you know, huge disease epidemic yeah. that like, um, or pandemic that, that like is, uh, you know, still ravaging the world. You know, what a, what a lonely thing given, given sort of the, the triumphalism that at least America is projecting now as, as a, a country that is, you know, way ahead of the curve in terms of vaccination, whatever problems that we have with it, you know, relative to the rest of the world. What a lonely thing, you know, if someone in your family still has this disease or God forbid dies of it, right? Like um, when, when everything is like crowing about how, how, you know, it's all better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That that strikes me as, as um, that's probably a, uh, that's, that's probably a pretty inside experience. Like triumphalism is kind of an inside experience. I mean, it's that little bit of everything all of the time that, which is that again, it's a, it's a villain song for a reason. Yeah. Because if, you know, I feel a lot of relief at being able to go back to and participate in some stuff that I couldn't do before because I'm vaccinated and I don't feel like I'm in particular danger, but I can't. I can't, you know, universally think that that's the case for everybody, but I also can't carry everybody else's situation with me every day. Right. It's like, like, what is I'm, I'm searching for a way to No, And it would be, I, I, I wonder if we will disagree about this, but it, it would be unhealthy for you too. Yeah. Right. Like the, the, the sort of sympathy and, you know, I think that the, you know, what I would frame as a kind of obligation to try to help people out if you can, like, yeah. the, you know, um, you know, contribute, contribute to a society where people are taken care of, um, d- does not require you to feel bad every time someone feels bad. Right. And in fact, that right. would be, that would be undesirable <laughs> because yeah. you'd never, you'd never feel good because it's a great big world and, and, um, it's a great big world and there's never not somebody miserable. That's true. Or, you know, and I will say, I, I want to differentiate in terms of insideness. There were a lot of things that came up during the championship season that were problems, huge problems before the championship season and remain huge problems now. Right. Sure. <laughs> and like, and it was interesting that, so much of it came out during the championship season, right? Um, and again, that's something I mean, you could yeah, just the look way history. the way it had it, the way it had of throwing into relief, right? Certain issues that had seemed maybe abstract or far off before. Mm. If you were happen to be far off from them, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that and that like things that weren't you know in a in a in a culture that has you know progressed from like a citizenship model to a consumer model. Uh, no, no, they're all far off, right? Like the dominant discourse is about is about like uh, gratification <laughs> through purchase, you know that like. Uh, um, you, you can get everything all the time and that like, um, you know, that, that like, uh, yeah, all, so there is, there is something about, 
there's something about I just I don't know the way the culture is that that pushes those things far off that sort of pushes those problems to the to the margins and that the the way it had of of sort of throwing the way uh the championship season had to of throwing those things into relief was you know was really instructive um though though you know I I was yeah, one thing we're we're just uh, we're way off topic now. One thing I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast. We've gone before. inside, Matt. That's the problem. And uh, well, it's the yeah. We we have to go outside again. The w- one thing that I I heard uh, a commentator say was that you know what there wasn't was like the iconic picture, an iconic image that represented this. Uh, you know, this particular time that represented this championship season, you know, like, like the, 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 the image of the team holding the trophy held, held high aloft, you know, celebrating their, celebrating their championship, right? Like there were some pictures of like people with sort of terrible, like welts on their face from mask wearer or mask wearing, like, um, uh, medical workers and stuff who were, you know, traumatized from being overburdened by the, uh, by the conditions that they had to work under and like the, the kind of the marks that this left on their bodies from the, like the chafing from the masks. And, and like th- there were a lot of moving things, but there wasn't like one where you can, you know, you can think of like two or three pictures from the Vietnam war that like crystallize that crystallized that, you know, you can think of two or three pictures from um, 9-11 you know, that crystallized that. But here was a, a disaster, a sort of a slow motion disaster, I guess. But here was a disaster and there was no way, there was no way of looking at it. And and so I, I the, among the other things, there, there was no way of crystallizing it visually or there was, it just didn't happen that it got crystallized visually. So I think one thing that happened was a lot of people started looking at themselves a lot, right? Like the, the, and the kind of the self-involvement of inside, like the idea that that my concerns are entirely about these four walls, right, is um, – I don't know. I think I think is like, – like you say, the body doesn't necessarily know what the nervous system arousal is about. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like doesn't doesn't sort of understand – you know, and uh, and actually, if you were to explain it to the body, uh, it would be like uh, it would be kind of ridiculous, right? Like, well, I, I you know, I just got this really poopy email from my boss. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just got me panicking now. Yeah, but you're a guy sitting in a room. <laughs> you know, like you're you're uh, there's a is there a bear behind you? I don't know. You have a guest thicket, but the like probably not. <laughs> that like you're 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 probably okay, and that like. The the um the the mind starts sort of cannibalizing itself when when the uh when the the anxiety level rises, you know, without the agency without with the sense of confinement, like without the agency to go like do something out in out in the world. Um and the fact that like I I, I wonder I wonder if this was one you know, that led itself, that lent itself to this kind of introspection. I mean, that, that this championship season, um, uh, lent itself to introspection, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. the, there was nothing, there was nothing in COVID to protest. 
You know, there, now there were things that happened in 2020 that deserved to be protested. And, right, right, you know, right. uh, if, if you were able and wanted to, I hope you did. And I did. And like the, the, the but, but you couldn't, you, you know, you couldn't protest the source of the isolation, though I, though I guess some people tried. Because um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. in order to do so, you would have to make up some other cause for it. Yeah. You know? Right. Which people did. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You would have to come up with a boogeyman that was protestable and you'd have to re, you know, reattribute everything that was happening. I, I mean, I was going to say that one of the things that always made me bummed out, you know, among all the other things that made me bummed out was that there was no music to me, at least as an oldie, I guess, that felt of the moment, like in the future movies that are going to be made about this time period. I didn't think that any there would be any songs that would be played. It was all going to be like Billie Eilish songs that were a year out of date. Right. Because that's all everybody remembered. But now I know it's just going to be Bo Burnham. That's just what they're going to play. There, <laughs> were, play. Pete, there, there were like three Mountain Goats records this year. <laughs> Of course they were, because it's just him and his cassette player, there right? There were three Mountain Goats. <laughs> Only one of them was him and his his cassette player. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the other one? Did he have an eight, did he have an eight track or did he? <laughs> the other ones were recorded with. I'll the still band make fun of him, even though fame, I like him a lot. Fame I don't know. Studios. He won't mind. He doesn't listen to me. Songs so. songs for Pierre Chauvin was uh, you Who's know that? Uh, about by the Mountain Goats. Um, okay. Wait, but, I mean, there's. It's called songs for Pierre Chavin. Yeah, that is. Who uh, is Pierre Chavin? He was a a uh, a historian of paganism and the advent of Christianity uh, in the the early centuries of the Common Era, and it's gotcha. about. Uh, it's about. You got to give the overthinkers what they came for, man. <laughs> you know that, that it's a uh, it's a concept album about the uh, the arrival of Christianity from the point of view of a of a pagan community being invaded by. <laughs> That's oh, okay. that was the first Mountain Goats album, and that was <laughs> recorded on the uh, on the tape recorder. I th- I think the actual one, not just the same model, but the very same. Second one called "Getting Into Knives." Uh, that's uh that's a double LP, uh, which is was recorded in a, a beautiful studio, like lush uh, lush instrumentals, really good um good players on that. Uh, and the third one just released is called "Dark in Here." Uh, that um, which which contains a uh, a song called Mobile, um, that is a retelling of the story of Jonah and the whale, where the chorus is, "I'm on a balcony in Mobile, Alabama, waiting for the wind to throw me down." And also, he released a uh, the, Mr. Ghost released a uh, a double live uh, double live album from a concert that they that they streamed um, somewhere during the pandemic. So this is there. Pete, bite your tongue when you say there is no music from this time. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is like, there's no Creedence Clearwater Revival, you know, like helicopter landing in Vietnam song that would instantly place a large audience in the moment. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Pete. It ain't me. <laughs> All right, maybe we should leave it there. I think I think this episode exceeds in length this special that we were talking that we were talking about. So it's now time to uh to walk out the door and reveal that it was a podcast all along. Uh thanks very much for listening. And Pete, thanks very much for this conversation, which I enjoyed a great deal. Uh, likewise, definitely, as always. Awesome. Well, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve 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 deserve. deserve.